Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Let us listen now for God's word to us. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water but roasted over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. So as you can see, we're continuing in our reading of the story of the Exodus following the lectionary. Now we left off last week with Moses' encounter with God in the burning bush, that incredibly powerful scene, that, that powerful moment where God commissions Moses to go back to Egypt and to demand freedom for the people. Now we pick, over, pick up today, having uh, skipped over quite a bit of stuff, quite a bit of things happen, pretty much all of Moses' encounters with Pharaoh up to this point. And especially, we miss out on nine of the ten plagues. And frankly, I'm I'm kind of okay with that for the, for the time being. I'm kind of okay with missing out on those for the time being because, as you probably know, it's, it's not very pretty stuff. I mean, we're talking about a river of blood, frogs and gnats and flies and diseased livestock and people growing boils on their skin and thunder and hail and locusts and this darkness that comes over the land. And all, throughout all of this, Pharaoh's heart remains so hard that he refuses to let them go. And actually, it's interesting, at one point, after the darkness of the ninth plague, 
Pharaoh does briefly agree to let the people go. He says, fine, just go, get out of here. But he demands that they leave their livestock behind. Moses insists that they must be able to bring their livestock with them. Uh, and so that sets Pharaoh off again, and he changes his mind and says, well, then no, you can't go. And I have to admit, there is a small part of me that wishes Moses would have just taken the deal, right? Take the compromise, and we could avoid the brutality of the tenth plague altogether. But alas, Moses is a man of principle. He knows what is right, and I can't say that I blame him. Now, any time we talk about the Passover story, there, I think for me at least, there's, there's kind of an elephant in the room that we'd probably rather not talk about. You know, what do we do with the tenth plague, the, the slaughter of the firstborn, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt? How do we, we reconcile what God does here with our image of who God is? The death of the firstborn, both human and animal, for many people, is a deeply unsettling image. Is this, is this really the way that God operates? Is this who God is? What do we make of this? And then our discomfort with this event is only further heightened when we remember that God actually participates in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, of course, hardens his own heart at points, but God also says multiple times, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not listen to you. And then in chapter 9, the narrator tells us the exact moment that God does harden Pharaoh's heart. Now these are difficult issues to deal with for many people, more difficult than I think can be adequately dealt with in one sermon. And, and I also don't want to focus too much on those issues because there is so much beauty and depth to this story beyond that. You know, I, don't, I don't want to miss out on everything else that's going on. But we should also never completely ignore those difficult moments in the Bible, those things that make us a little bit uncomfortable. I would encourage you to spend some time reading this week, reading this text again, and be willing to ask those kind of difficult questions. I think many times we're afraid to ask those questions or don't feel that we have the right to. Um, but God is not afraid of our questions. God is not intimidated by our questions. In fact, I think God welcomes them. So as difficult as some of those questions may be, again, we should not let them obscure what is being asked of the people here, what, what God is doing in and among the Israelites. They are charged, I'm sure you noticed, they are charged with very meticulous preparations, given detailed instructions, not only about how to obtain the lamb and what to do with it, how to prepare it, when you get the lamb, when you slaughter the lamb, how to dispose of it after you're done, and even what to wear while you're eating it. This is an act of worship for these people. This, this is an act of worship, and worship must be prepared for in the proper way. There are certain things that need to take, be taken care of. It must be shown the proper respect. How very Presbyterian, right? The Israelites are not simply passive observer, observers in what God is doing. They're not simply sitting around waiting to hear from Moses, okay, when do we run? You know, when, when's the cue? They don't sit back waiting for God to act. God invites them through their worship to be a part of their own liberation, to be active participants in this new kingdom that God is establishing among them and through them. 
But leaving Egypt is about more than simply being set free and beginning this new journey to the promised land. For the Israelites, this event is also a powerful symbol of their journey from death to life. They are not simply given freedom. They are given an entire new life, a new existence. This is the beginning, a new beginning for them, by which their time will now be marked. Their calendar changes from this point on. In verse 2, God says, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. In other words, you will no longer live according to the calendar of Pharaoh. You will no longer live to time that is marked according to time that is marked by the empire. The month of their departure marks for them the beginning of their future, their freedom, their new life. Time is being reset here. God is saying you will no longer live according to that timeline, but this new timeline of freedom and life that I am giving to you. You will no longer be subject to the calendar of Pharaoh, the time of slavery and oppression. Time begins now. In a certain sense, this is a story about new creation, God recreating the world once again the way it was intended to be. And their life, their new existence, is centered around the palpable presence of God in their midst that is experienced primarily in their acts of worship. It's interesting, we, don't, we often miss this, but worship is one of the most central themes that runs throughout the entire book of Exodus. In chapter 5, when Moses comes to Pharaoh to demand that he release the people, he says to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. You hear that? Let them go so they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. In other, in other words, let us go so we can worship God the way God was meant to be worshipped. You remember, I mentioned earlier, after the ninth plague, that Pharaoh was willing to let the people go, but they had to leave their livestock, right? The reason Moses is so insistent that they bring their livestock along, because he says to Pharaoh, our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must choose some of them for the worship of the Lord our God, and we will not know what to use to worship the Lord until we arrive there. Again, it's all about worshiping God. And when Pharaoh finally does give in and lets the people go and lets them take their livestock with them after the 10th plague, after the Passover, he says to Moses and Aaron, Rise up, go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord, as you said. So Pharaoh gets it. He knows what it's about. It's all about worship. The people need, they yearn to worship the Lord, and they can't when they're being crushed under this system of oppression and dehumanization. This is a people that knows deeply that they were created in God's image and that they can't live into that image when they're in Egypt. They have to leave it behind. And everything about this moment, this ritual preparation that they do, is it, it speaks of a people who are in this strange kind of in-between place. They're somewhere at this moment caught between life and death, preparing to move towards life, but still they remain in the doorway of death. 
The symbolism of the lamb's blood being smeared on the doorway should not be missed. The doorway upon which the blood is placed reminds them of their journey that is to come, that they will soon be asked to step through that door. And even as they are preparing the lamb and they're eating the lamb, they are, they are told to keep their loins girded, keep their sandals on their feet, and their staff in their hand. In other words, be ready to go. This is not your home. I have a different home for you. And even the time of day that they're supposed to do all this, that they're supposed to eat this meal, is an in-between time. Most translations will simply say twilight. But literally, the Hebrew reads, between the evenings. So again, it's this kind of in-between space that they're in. This brief portrait of time that we see is a people as they are on their way stuck somewhere between this life and the new life, between this world and the next, the world to come. But leaving behind everything that you know can be incredibly difficult, and we'll see just how difficult it can be in a couple of weeks when the people are in the wilderness and they begin to grumble about how they miss Egypt, how they just want to go back to Egypt. But at least for now, their response and their faithfulness to God's uh, instructions requires a tremendous amount of trust. No doubt, through a series of nine plagues, they have witnessed firsthand the power of God, that God can and will do what God says he will do. Nevertheless, to walk out that door knowing that nothing but wilderness awaits is an impossible thing to ask. But they, they understand that they're not simply being invited into a new, a new place to live and a new place to work. They are being given a new life. A new life that is marked by a new calendar, a new time. And this new life is defined by their worship of the living God. In our world, there are many Egypts. There are many broken and harmful systems that seek to take away basic human dignity. And far too often, we allow those things to define our lives rather than our worship of the living God. This, I think, is is part of the reason the church created this liturgical calendar, a different way of understanding the flow of seasons and understanding how time is marked, how time is marked differently, just like in the Passover so that the cycle and rhythms of our lives would be defined by our worship and nothing else. would not be defined by our jobs, not be defined um, by college football season, which it is very often for me, things like that, but it would be defined exclusively by where we are in our worship of the Lord. So like the ancient Israelites, we are invited, we are compelled to leave Egypt, to leave behind all that enslaves us and demands our time from us, and to enter into the wilderness that will eventually lead us to the promised land. It may be, I think, a a worthwhile exercise for us this week to take stock of how the rhythms of our lives are actually defined. how 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 is time marked for us? Whose calendar are we living according to? Are our lives marked by the freedom and worship that God invites us to? Or do we 
simply choose to remain on Pharaoh's time. I suspect that for most of us, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's a give and take. Throughout the Bible and, and much of Christian theology, Egypt becomes this very powerful metaphor for sin. Like the Israelites, we are a people that are in between, caught somewhere between death and life, between this world and the next. We have been liberated by Christ our Redeemer, yet we remain these broken, fallen people who often remain slaves to our own sin. When we receive new life in Christ, we're called to leave the old behind and enter into the new. But this is an impossible task, and it's one that we have to come back to time and time again. This is why the Israelites institute the celebration of the Passover, to remind them year after year after year that they belong to God, not to Pharaoh. To remind them where they were and where they've come with God's help. But, and we'll see this more again in a few weeks, even though they've left Egypt, Egypt never completely leaves them. We are so easily wooed back by the culture and systems of death. We're so easily wooed back by sin. So we are called week after week, day after day, year after year to reorient and reorganize our lives around the worship of the living God. Like the Israelites, we are called to participate in what God is doing in our midst. So as we continue on our journey together, every time we gather back here in this place, may we remember that we have been set free by Christ so that we may worship the living God. We have been given new life so that we might leave Egypt behind. And let us, like the Israelites, be ready to go at a moment's notice. For God is about to pass by to lead us out of this place and into newness of life. Amen.